Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs, here with Dan Morang, and we've got one more joining us tonight. We wanted to talk about big men this evening, so we've invited Blazer's Edge reigning big man, D1 player from California Long Beach. He played eight years professionally in Europe. He retired back to the Northwest and now writes for Blazer's Edge, checking in at 6'10", the tallest person I know. Welcome to the show, Brian Freeman. Hey, you guys. Thank you. Um, you know, if I can, I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to be able to offer on this podcast, but it can defer, definitely offer height. So I got that going. We have, we have, we have height and spades. Well, and spades, plenty. <laughs> well, glad to have you tonight because the Blazer Big Man men are a uh, a pretty big topic. The latest games the Blazers have been playing, uh, especially Yusuf Nurkic, has been on everybody's mind. So we are going to go. I guess we should probably just jump right into that. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I think mean, that sounds like the right place to start. Um, there's plenty of things that weren't good in the Brooklyn game um, that we'll, we'll we'll eventually get around to. Maybe I don't know. We'll just kind of see yeah. where it goes here, but yeah. the, uh, the the recap the, big, the Brooklyn game. You want to you want to do that? Just get it out of the way. Just just you know, we just burn the game tape. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brian, Brian, quick takeaways from from the Brooklyn game, aside from from the big man. Um, man, I mean, the the number one thought I had is is you know they've been talking forever about about defense being their motive this year, defense being their energy. But you know when the offense went down, that's when the team really started to, started to crumble. You know, you can see their spirits drop, and they definitely get their energy from their offense. You know, despite all the talk of defense kind of being their uh, mo here. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because that's that's the familiar waters for them. I mean, so that's when that well goes dry. Wow, that's two water metaphors. God, that's awful. Um, when that well goes dry, um, you could kind of see it, like you said, their, their spirits tend to crumble. Uh, that's that's the foundation this team has been built on. It, it, this isn't a team that's that's like you know the Memphis Grizzlies, where if things aren't going well, they can lock you down for a few possessions. Oh, excuse yeah, me, I had to mute so, the mic while I sneezed. Um, but they they can't draw from that. They they need to draw the inspiration and, and the and the swagger and the mentality and the attitude from you know draining four straight threes and, and not locking you down for four straight possessions. Now yeah. I I feel like this year. Okay, so we, they had that first game that throws their statistical, um, you know, throws their statistics, it, yeah, it makes it a little sideways. But but even with that, 
you know, how many years have we been saying we just would love to see the Trailblazers be playing average defense? I feel like they're playing average defense right now. I feel like their 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 defense is still better than last year, and I feel like they've got more to fall back on this year than they did last year. Because I totally agree with y'all that they're um, that they're motivated from their offense. Their offense is their blood and butter, but offense is the thing that they've always been able to do. And when they can't play offense, it it sends them into a tizzy. But I feel I feel like this year they at least have some fundamental things that they can do right on defense to help them tread water at least before they get their um, their offense back. Do you all think that it's, you know, fool's gold saying that they're better on defense this year? Or do you think that they have actually improved at least so far through the 12 games we've seen? I would say they, I would say they've definitely improved. I mean, you can see that it's been more of a, um, a goal, a more of a point of emphasis on the players, even when they talk kind of after the games, when they, you know, break down their thoughts and how they play defense, even gets mentioned a lot more. So clearly it's something that's been talked about. It's on, it's on, you know, it's in the back of their mind. Uh, so it's something, it's something that they're trying for, trying to make it more of an effort. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I, I wouldn't say it's fool's gold, fool's gold, but um, right now we're still in kind of the, the working parts of making that part of their identity. And I think it's been trending in the right direction, but you know, after last um, last couple of games, especially yesterday when they started melting down and their offense went down, um, you can feel they're just not there. Maybe it's not cemented in them, but they're, they're trending in the right direction. Brian, I'm curious when when you're watching them, do you feel like they're it's their their team defense or their individual defense that they struggle with most in when they're struggling? Uh, definitely team defense. Um, I mean, every, every team defense begins and ends with communication. And, you know, I, I was just going through the tapes and dissecting the game yesterday. And it was, it was just miscommunication after miscommunication left wide open guys, left guys wide open, um, all over the court. And, you know, the efforts there, uh, you can see some pointing Tara. I know you love pointing. I do. And I love pointing. I saw some good pointing, you know, I saw some pointing that, um, you know, shows that, once again, that they're they're trying to do the right things, but just so many so many team breakdowns, so many miscommunications, um, just leads to even uh, you know even more easy baskets than than the individual breakdowns are allowing. Uh, it's it's kind of funny though. Like, I, I just want to roll this one back a little bit. Like the, the, when you first started talking about this, like the idea was that it was okay for the Blazers to start talking about defense. It's, it's like George Carlin's seven leather word that you don't say around Portland. Like defense is just like, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it's okay to start talking about it. That, that's, that's, yeah. it's kind of a weird transition because it's been such a just complete dumpster fire for the past three years that it's something that, I don't know. It went from taboo to like, okay, you know, maybe they're doing something now. And I would absolutely agree that they're, they're playing better. They've, they've elevated the bar. And yeah, while Phoenix has skewed things quite a bit as far as the baseline statistics and the advanced numbers are concerned, and there have been some stinkers in this in the past couple of games. Obviously, the, the Brooklyn one's not really going to skew anything because it's not like they dropped 130. That's the thing. In all of these games that they've been close, so that they've lost, so they've miscued, or they've played just junk defense for stretches – it hasn't been an entire game or even an entire quarter. Like they, they haven't just gone completely sideways yet, which is except for against Toronto. Okay, yeah, that, that, and even but then, even, but even, even then, Toronto, they, even Toronto struggled. Toronto scored ninety nine. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it, Toronto still struggled. Like, it wasn't like a game where Toronto dropped a punter 30 on Portland. That's what I mean. Like, there's, there's certainly something different about the effort being put forward on that end of the floor. Um, but it, it's... It, <sighs> There's so many other things that are that are going on right now, and I kind of want to bring it back to it because it's something I think I think we need to get to, and that's particularly like what has been going on or what has gone on, the end of the last two games, and mm-hmm. that is Yusuf Nurkic not being out on the floor. Now, yeah, let's talk about that. The the baseline that I kind of want to establish here, at least from my point of view, is if you're going to call Yusuf Nurkic part of your big three, you ride and die with him. If a team goes small, you punish them to death by keeping him out there and going big. If you lose a trade-off on the other end, so be it. But you don't talk about how he's going to be that guy. You don't have C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard say, he's the guy that's going to carry us and then have him sit. That's probably the only criticism I'm going to have of Terry Stotts in this entire <laughs> dire discussion because that part I didn't agree with, the idea of sitting him. The possibility that he may have been sat in both those instances for lack of effort, I think that's a real discussion point. Like, like overall, Brian, what, what's your take from both the game plan perspective here and the overall idea that it, it may be effort-based and this may be kind of a, a teaching moment? No, I think you hit it right on the head. Um, you know, Defense has been thrown around as a reason why he hasn't been on the court. But, I mean, let's be honest. DJ McCollum and Damian Lillard are always on the court. You know, mm-hmm. It's not all about deep. Defense is not the only reason why Nurkic isn't playing. Um, there's something else. Um, it may be lack of effort. Maybe it's attitude. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, the, the coach sees things that we don't get to see. The coach is part of conversations that we don't get to hear. We may look at a pl- play. Like, I was doing the, the breakdown of their game today. And I look at, you know, I see what I can see. I see the court. I see what I think they're trying to do. And I say, oh, Nurkic did it right. But we don't know if Stotts is in the background telling Nurkic to do something completely different that he's doing. And, and he's just not listening or he's not, you know, we, we just don't know that part of, st- that, that part of the game. Which a is, perfect play it, you know, that, that we could both sit here and look at and we could discuss a million different ways. Was Spencer Dinwiddie getting that straight line drive off what was supposed to be a pick and roll, I guess? Um, right down the middle the for the dunk. Yeah, where the screen never reached Lillard. And Nurkic went to the high side and, and went with the pop man. And Lillard just stood there flat-footed without ever actually getting screened. Was Lillard supposed to push to the sideline and anticipate Nurkic sinking? Or was Nurkic in the right in taking away the, the pop man and Lillard was supposed to stay tighter and go under the screen and force Dinwiddie to take the shot? We don't know that, but on the surface that entire sequence just looks awful for both guys, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you have these game plans, you know, you make this play, you know, if, if this happens, yada, we want to do this, if this happens, but you can't do that for every situation. So it's just in, in those kind of, t- those kind of, um, you know, unique instances where something happens that is kind of out of the realm of what you guys have talked about. That's where communication just becomes so important. You know, on that, on that play that you're just describing right there, if, you know, if Nurk's yelling, no screen, no screen, you know, right after the screen's not, not set, I mean, Dame's going to act completely different. Or if Nurk's saying, you, you know, sees where Dame is and see, sees Dame's kind of in a tough spot, then Nurk's just can just be yelling, switch, 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 or, or Dame can do the same thing, vice versa. But if you look at him, neither one of them does any kind of 
any sort of reaction, any sort of, uh, you know, get ahead of the play, trying to figure it out. There's just no aggression towards figuring out as both, both of them just kind of standing there with complete confusion all over their faces. And then he just goes in for that wide open lane. Yeah, and, and the so, crazy thing was, was it wasn't just, if you watch that play, yeah, those two stand out. But if you watch every other guy on the floor, it's the same kind of reaction, flat footed, no communication. Uh, I believe it's Evan Turner who turns his back on the ball. He's, he's completely running away from the play with his back to the ball. Um, Harkless is, is on the, the weak side corner, um, and he doesn't sink in at all. He just kind of stands there and watches the drive. Uh, like it, it's, it's the entire unit. Like Nobody's on a string. Nobody's communicating. How does a team go from being not the most vocal team in the world but being more vocal than they've ever been to just completely lackadaisical in not only the execution and effort but communication as well? Here's one thing that I worry a little bit about with, uh, you know, the rise of the immediate immediacy of like social media and being able to watch replays instantly and all that stuff is that we end up focusing on, you know, one or two just really, really poorly executed plays, plays that really represent, you know, poor effort or just really demonstrate it. And I'm wondering for how much of the game do you think a play like that represented the the added the team's attitude for the whole game or are we just looking at it happened at critical times when it shouldn't have happened i mean do you think that was representative of their attitude the entire game because brian i saw that you you know pulled together a lot of really nice highlights where you did show them doing things correctly in the first half but then plays like this break down but see when uh, when people talk about a good defensive team or a good defensive player it's not somebody that, um, you know, locked down a drive one time or together they had a really good unit um, and made, you know, made good defensive stop together. That's not what good defensive teams, that doesn't necessarily make a good defensive team or a good defensive player. To be a good defensive player or a good defensive team, it's about consistency. It's okay. about doing it over and over and over and over again. That's, that's what makes you a good team. You can make a great stop. But if the other times you're giving up buckets, and that doesn't mean you're a good, you know, a good unit. So That's it's all about perspective. It's all about consistency. And you know, you mentioned right now we have all this social media and being able to dive into a certain play and make a big deal about it. I mean, I was in I was in college before kind of that, that social media boom. Not to age myself a little bit, <laughs> um, but even in, even in high school, I mean, coaches are watching tape. We're watching film together, and if we have a play like that that coach is sitting there pointing that play out and going over it over and over again. So it might not be the, you know, maybe it wasn't the media that was hearing it all, but from a player's point of view, I mean, I've been, I've heard that, you know, for as long as I can remember since they started doing video breakdowns, it's like one bad play that bad. Um, That's going to lead off state meeting. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's that 22 to two run (laughs) when they sit down to do tape, that's where the tape's going to start. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely and you know what it'll probably be in that in that uh that cut maybe three or four times and it'll yeah. be a slow motion it'll go in reverse about how different people circled i mean and nobody will say anything things, it's one of those things where you just no. you just take it you, you know it's coming <laughs> and you just you deal with it and the thing was yeah. you actually you were you were spot on there tara with the whole the idea of the first half and the second half and it was two totally different teams at least for me as far as how they were competing on, on both ends of the floor uh, the first half, they, they felt like they had kind of control of the game. Uh, defensively, while it wasn't spectacular, I think that 
they got a little bit too comfortable because solely because the Nets weren't hitting shots. There were, I think they, what they take, 30, 30 something threes? 20, or is it 20, 20 something threes? I think it was 24, 25 threes in the first half. There's a lot of just wide open threes. There, was, there were miscommunications and issues repeatedly in the second half of the second quarter where I saw Dame get completely flat footed on a closeout. Like he didn't know he was supposed to switch or he didn't want to switch or something got confused and wide open three point shooters on, on the left wing in particular. Um, that if they hit, you know, a higher percentage of shots, which you would normally expect. I mean, this isn't a team that's a great three-point shooting team, but they're a good three-point shooting team. Um, if they're hitting their looks, if they get hot, we're talking about Portland being down significantly at the half. Like, they had a ton of really, really good looks. And I'm sitting there, you know, doing my halftime notes on this game could be radically different if the Nets had a hot shooting night. And you can say that about any night, really, but the quality of shots they were getting were much better than what the scoreboard reflected. And I think that permeated the third quarter that they thought that they could just continue to go out there and not have issues and not have problems. And then all of a sudden, you know, they could turn it on or, or, or figure it out. Well, when that offense doesn't get rolling and then the Nets start hitting shots and then your defense starts to fall apart, that's how you get on the wrong end of a 22-2 to two run. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. That, that mixed with your offense just hitting, hitting a lull as well. Um you know, and I think that was that was a big part of it too. You know, they weren't able to score the score the ball, weren't able to get the energy, and the defense defense got worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you said left a lot of shots so, uh, in the first half. I mean, the second half was just oh, the second half was atrocious <laughs> from the from second the start half. of the second half to the to the end whistle. The second half defense was uh, no, it was it was the worst I've seen this year. I, I had to yeah, think about it for a second, like like that, that for like just taking a, a snapshot time period like of of the entire defense up and down the roster, it was bad. Okay. Let's, let's drill into a little bit more like specifically like um, about what it was, where they were falling short in that second half. And especially was it the big men that, or was it a whole team thing? What was going on? Because I, you know, I want to know what happened there. I mean, I, I always hate to say, well, the big men played well and the guards uh, defensively. The men played well defensively and the guards didn't play well because they feed off each other a lot, especially for a team like Brooklyn that ran, you know, just runs a lot of drive and kick, pick high pick and rolls. Um, I mean, if, if there's a pick and roll, and a big man plays it perfectly and the guard doesn't, then it's probably an easy shot in a bucket and vice versa. So in order to, to be able to really make a, make an effort on, on a team like Brooklyn that you know drives and kicks kick so much. And I think that pretty much falls on everybody. And I mean, watching that game tape, there was nobody that, that stood out as, as playing really good defense. I mean, Napier made a lot of mistakes. Turner made some mistakes. Uh, Nurk made mistakes at Davis. You know, the guy who came in for him because Nurk wasn't playing defense, but apparently he made some mistakes, you know, Dame and CJ made their mistakes. They were compounding. Um, they, mistakes they all too. What's that? They, they were compounding mistakes. Like one guy yeah, would make absolutely. a mistake and then they would compound it by doing something just ridiculous. There were yeah. a couple of possessions where, you know, it, it's, you know, slam the, the, the notepad down. Like, what are you doing? Like, you, you just made, you just took what was a difficult shot and gave them instead an, an easy three or a layup. I was like, guys, just don't double down on stupidity here. Yeah, I had one time Napier, uh, you know, uh, who was it? I think it was AC got the ball, tried to drive Nurk. You know, Nurk 
played good enough defenses, kept the guy in front of him. Napier just has his guard the guy in the corner, just sprints to the middle of the key to try to steal the ball. AC sees him, just gets the ball and throws it right to and just a wide open three. Just kind of one of those things. Like what was, what was the game plan there? Yeah. What was the thought process? I mean, if you're, if you're going to gamble, if you're going to push on that, you're, I mean, typically the scouting report, particularly on a guy like AC is if you're going to put that pressure on him, you're going to put him on, you're going to put it on him on the first dribble, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like if, if you're, if you're going to gamble, you're going to make him make the mistake early so you can recover as opposed to on a, on a static defense. And one of my, one of my biggest pet peeves on defense is when you have a guy, you know, is playing the one-on-one and he, he contains, he holds the drive and somebody comes and helps him when he doesn't need any kind of help. So then you've pretty much just ruined the guy's good one-on-one defense. The guy made a stop, you know, he did his job, you know, the other players, their job is to, you know, make the passes hard be in the lanes, whatever. If he can handle him one-on-one, then your defense, the defense from the players off the ball becomes much easier. Yeah, the defensive integrity, gets, it, gets, it gets that much thicker. Right, it's just, it's, it's just not being part of a unit. This guy, you know, the guy did his, Nurkis did his job. He held the drive. If Napier stays out there, then who knows, AC probably has to put up a bad shot. But because Napier, you know, broke the, broke whatever their, their defensive scheme was, Left his guy wide open. And just things like that. And I just use that as an example not to call out Napier, but kind of because that was kind of a big one. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. Those mistakes were compounding. You didn't. You were already struggling as a unit defensively. And now you're going to take risks or uh, force plays that aren't there and making it even more difficult for the team, for the team as a whole. And that's, that's not the kind of position that they're in. They, they don't have the personnel to make up for those kind of possessions. They don't have the defensive stalwart superstars that can make those plays regularly, that can take those gambles. They don't have the Kawhis, they don't have the Giannis's, the Tony Allens, the guys that are going to suffocate somebody, and you know that their defense is so overwhelming on every possession that if they take a, mis- or they take a gamble and they make a mistake, it's worth the risk-reward ratio because more than likely, in the long run, they're going to come out ahead. Napier's a guy, like <laughs> while, while I admire that, and I, I think he's he's one of the guys that if he if given enough time could be a guy like that. Portland is so bereft of that that they play so safe that something like that stands out. It, it's in stark contrast to the to the entire team scheme. Oh, absolutely. let me. Oh, sorry. Go okay. ahead, Brian. Uh, I was just going to say, just piggyback on that a little bit. You, you know, you mentioned a guy like Kawhi and Giannis. You know. They're so long, they can get back and recover. And they're in mm-hmm. defenses that kind of allow them to, do that, to to roam a little bit. As you just said, the Pacers do not have a defense that allows for one person to completely leave their guard. There's nobody else ready to to make up for that and to you know cover two people for a moment and you know get their back up. There's there's absolutely nothing in place to make that a um, you know to put him in a place where he he feels he can do that. Exactly. Let me ask you this. We, you, you're talking some about the personnel on some of these other teams, like, you know, Kawhi guys who are like that. The Blazers have actually had some changes to their personnel in that over the last, you know, ha- handful of games, they haven't had a and they have had Vonley. How do these personnel changes affect the defense that the Blazers have been playing? Do you think? I mean, I would just look, Look at the results. I mean, Aminu, Aminu is exactly the type of guy that they're missing right now. Um, Lee just hasn't really made that much of an impact. Uh, you wouldn't say he's playing bad. You wouldn't say he's doing great. Um, he's doing he's still Von Lee things. Of, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's there. still just kind of, 
Yeah, you know, but he's not even he's not shooting 38 or 38% from the field, you know, playing 18 minutes a game. You know, he's getting his five rebounds, but he's not really making much of a much of a difference. You look at a guy like Aminu, I mean Aminu's been great. He was having he's a career absolutely year. Yeah, having a career year and who knows who knows if he can sustain shooting 43%, but regardless, that's what he was doing for the beginning of the year to so lose that. I mean, that, that, that's huge. That's a massive massive loss. I think it was a, a function of Aminu's injury more so than anything that, you know, basically Vonley came in and Aminu went out. What do you think might happen once Aminu is ready, ready to play? And we also have Myers Leonard ready to come back into the rotation. How do you all think uh, that's going to affect again, specifically like the defense? Here's, here's my whole take on, on the, the personnel that Portland has and how they use them and how we, it could all go out going forward. Aminu is hands down their best defender. When he's not out there, that's that's issues for them within the starting lineup. Uh, Vonley's a guy who I think he is who he is at this point in time. I don't think he's a real positive. I don't think he's a real negative. I think he's just he's he's done some really nice things that I, I've I've called out on Twitter quite a few times actually uh, over the past few games since his return. Um, but I don't think he's ever going to be a, a I think he's going to be a neutral kind of player. Like I said, he's not a real positive, he's not a real negative, but he's not going to hurt you. But he'll make some plays, and I don't think he's ever really going to hurt you. Um, that's that's nice to have on a team. That's a nice luxury. Um, but I think you need more of what Aminu gives you structurally, defensively, and what he's been giving offensively and on the, the backboards. It's been phenomenal. Um, I know I'll get plenty of people going crazy about this, but I actually like Myers out there defensively for two reasons. One, he's a massive body that eats up a ton of space. Um, he does the turn shots in the paint. Two, he talks. He talks more than anybody on this team defensively. He talks, directs, and leads from the paint better than anybody else Portland has. He doesn't. He has all the skills necessary to be a, a good defender. Whether or not it ever actually comes together or not, that's another question. But I think that that part of his game does lead to good things for Portland. And I'm not talking about we're, we're going to see that for 20 minutes a night or anything like that. It's, it's a few minutes. But I think those kind of habits, uh, I think having him probably out there in practice uh, helps. And he obviously hasn't been there. But neither him nor Aminu uh, have been there in practice for the past, what, two weeks now, week? Um, so uh, that could be part of it as well. So the, those guys return, or, you know, uh, Myers coming back, uh, the sooner Aminu gets back. Obviously, those are all good things for the team. Um, as far as how things are, are going to shake out, I don't think Myers is getting a ton of minutes, but I think his attitude and his mindset um, might help. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's contagious or not, but uh, I, I think those things are probably a good thing for Portland in the long run. I mean, how are you looking at that, Brian? Yeah, I mean, you said an interesting thing that I, as soon as you said it, I kind of started thinking is getting Myers back on the practice squad. Myers is a Myers is. His, you know, I don't need to dive into what Myers is. I think we all kind of know what Myers is, but he is an effort guy, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, that little jump in, in effort that can, you know, maybe have an effect in, in practice and who knows, maybe it'll carry over to a couple minutes a game, but that is infectious. One guy going, when you, when you're in a practice and you notice someone is going harder than you, I mean, every person in the world that's a competitor will see that it and, and it'll trigger a switch. So if everybody's kind of going about, about the same speed, then that doesn't really happen. But, you know, I could see Myers being somebody that in practice, 
kind of kicks it up another gear. Maybe he's yelling and he's kind of going crazy or whatever. Maybe one of those guys makes stupid hard fouls and, you know, fouls that are too hard for practice. Maybe he is kind of that guy. I don't know. For sure. I never watched him practice, but kind of comes across that way a little bit. And, you know, maybe something like that would be nice to have in a practice squad. You know, I, I saw it pop up in the comments of the day. I want to kind of break, since we're talking about big man and defense here, we're kind of, we, we drifted away from the Nurkic topic as, as a whole. But um, I saw something in the comments the other day that, that was like, wow, are we really at this point already? Um, with everything that's going around Nurkic, not talking to the reporters in the post game, and whether or not, you know, him being sat was an issue of effort. Somebody said that, are we at the time where we're going to have the closed door meeting? Like the, the, the players only meeting. The way the attitudes, or the way that the guys were talking and the attitudes that were there, both in the post game and in uh, media coverage today, this is, this is Sunday, um, the, it didn't seem like it had got that bad. But the quotes that kind of came out of, uh, out of, out of practice out, <laughs> from the media there, um, they, they, they kind of screamed like they were handwritten, like everything's fine, everything's cool. Coach Dots is the best, greatest ever. He's my favorite coach. Nothing to see here. Uh, you know, we saw the effort from from other folks talking about how Nurkic was still openly cheering his teammates from the bench. Like there was, there was at least the optics. It appeared that damage control was underway. Is that is it? Is that a fair assumption, Tara Brian? Is that kind of how you guys are looking at this too? Brian, I'm curious if you've ever been in a closed door meeting. Yes, I've. I've uh... I was the captain and called uh, quite a few closed door meetings. Actually, I've even went coaches. Coaches weren't allowed closed door meetings, and you know sometimes sometimes they really work, and sometimes it's nice to you know be able to look at somebody in kind of a safe environment. And be like you know, what? I don't think you're doing your job, and they can explain. You know, they're in front of your you know the little family. They can explain themselves, and you know, and it makes a difference. People get mad. You know, you get you get some arguments, but I've had some go really really well too. Where you know, that practice was in a practice like, you know, after kind of having these talks and people getting called out a little bit, it became the best practice of the year for the next three or four practices. And then, you know, you feel a difference in the game, whether it turns into wins isn't always true, but you feel a difference. You know, people are trying harder and people are hearing from it. So um, I'm a huge fan of closed close door meetings. <laughs> if, if nothing else, if nothing else, it's a, it's a, it's a call that things need to change. And when you kind of get that feeling as a player that, okay, things need to change. I need to, you know, address myself. I need to kind of figure out what I'm doing, assess how I've been playing, assess what I can do better and um, try to change. And, and you get that mentality that, that can often spark a, some positive along. I, 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 I'm a fan of the closed door meeting because it usually is a catalyst for something. It means things have gotten to a point where something needs to change. And I like how you, you said it naturally. I don't even know if you noticed that you said it, but you talked about sitting and talking in front of your family and you know, that's what it's like. It's like, okay, let's gather around. We, we need to talk and we need, we need to address this. I have this sort of other theory that, and you know, I, I always have wild theories that are not based in much reality, but I'm always trying to figure out reasons for what's going on. And I think one thing that's going on this season is these huge home stands at the beginning of the season aren't allowing that bonding time that you get when you go on all those, you know, on a bunch of road trips, because pretty much you go to practice, you show up, you do your thing, and then you go home. Does that 
does it have any, can you guys see anything based in reality about that? Or is that just like, no, that has nothing to do with any of this. I mean, it could, but to me, it feels like more about the fact that even though they said it a million times that they had to get off to a good start, they knew that their schedule was relatively cushy to start. And I think they may, especially with the way that they started the season, with the defense looking so good, they, 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 may, have been, they may have been feeling themselves a little bit too mm-hmm. much. Um, and then they got gut-checked by Milwaukee and Los Angeles. Um, and I but, think I mean, that, Milwaukee and Los Angeles are like, you know, they're not bad teams. No, it's, but <laughs> that's the thing is, like, for, for the way that they were talking, uh, the, 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 this is just the players, this is kind of like the way that the franchise here was talking was that, you know, they expect to win the vast majority of games at home. And Milwaukee could end up being a fantastic team. The Clippers could end up being a fantastic team. But if you want to be that team that's in that 5-6 level as opposed to those teams that's in the 7 through 11 or 12 level, um, those are the games that you not only um, should win, but you should expect to win. Um, So I, I think that those... As a competitor, and I'm sure Brian can attest to this uh, on a professional level, none of these guys, regardless of who they're playing, are going in there thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be a tough game tonight. We may lose this. They're going in with the swagger of, hey, we're, we're going to drop 120, we're going to lock them down, and we're going to win this game. Like that, That's the mentality that all these guys, I mean, to get to this level, that's, that's the mentality you have to have. I think there's probably something to the idea of, of being on a long homestand and being comfortable, and I think part of that plays into the idea of the easy schedule. Um, uh, was it the, they've played the fourth easiest schedule so far in their 500? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a problem. Like, those are, those are like, well, I, I see a lot of people in the comment sections all over the place and on, on various websites and forums and boards and all of the like. Um, I don't think it's, it, it's not. It's not even, I don't think. It's not freakout time, but there's certainly cause for concern because we're seeing a lot of the same things kind of rear their ugly head as far as um, how Portland is playing right now. Um, is the defense still an issue? Yeah, you could say it is. Um, is sloppy play and kind of becoming reliant on Dame and CJ? Yeah, we, we've, we've heard these things before. Um, the lack of, of uh, consistent bench contribution. And then you toss in, again, from what it looks like on the outside, is a mini reenactment of the situation that Denver had with Nurkic um, here in Portland. Um, yeah, I mean, none of this stuff should be surprising. That, that's, that's the thing. It's like, if everything goes right, if everything goes according to plan, sure, Portland could easily be, what, 10 and 2 right now? 9 and 3? But that's not how everything goes. That's, that's never how everything goes, especially if no. you're a Portland. Especially if you're a Portland fan. That's the like if you if you're sitting here as a Portland fan and you're thinking everything's going well, you you probably haven't been a Portland fan for that long. <laughs> Either that or you're just crazy because it, nothing ever goes according to plan. Um, but so just I, for reference, and oh, God, sorry, did you want to finish? No, I was just say like none of the stuff is really that surprising at this point in time. So I would say that people that are freaking out and calling for Terry Stotts' job, slow your roll. Like, I, I know that's crazy to hear from me, that, that, you know, Captain Pessimist, but, like, there are, none of the stuff is surprising. Like, can they fix some things? Yeah, they can shore up things in the paint. They can play better defense. And, but the, the idea that it, things are going to go sideways, um, 
all season you long. You have to accept that things are going to go sideways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Is like if this this team this yeah, this team is still fundamentally flawed um, from a roster composition uh, point of view. So, um, yeah, that's that that's my one rant for for today's podcast. Just slow down. Well, there's certainly cause for concern. Um, I, I think there's more to this Nurkic situation that they're letting on to, but and I would say that there's that's to me a bigger issue than the the way Portland has lost these games because I think that issue in and of itself is kind of leading to some of the other problems. Um, I would say. Can that the you other elaborate stuff, a little bit more on what you mean by you think that there is an issue? I think that the, much like Nurkic in Denver he may have gotten a little too big for his britches and he may be getting a little bit too comfortable. Now, the thing is, I think he, he may realize that. Um, so I, I think he's, he's doing a little bit of damage control. Um, mm-hmm. do, I, do I blame him for not sitting down for the interview? Even, even if it was, wasn't that issue and it was his back, I think if you're in Nurkic's position, I think you have to realize that in the position you're in and with the history you have, you have to be kind of careful with that. And I know that sounds kind of messed up, but I think I honestly feel that he has to be careful with optics. This is a guy who, when he came here in the trade deal, he put on like the biggest PR bonanza I've ever seen from a, from a new player who nobody really knew. Like nobody in Portland really knew who he was. And then a week later it's, it's Bosnian beast and Nurkic fever. Like it was a barnstorming political tour. It was insane. Like mm-hmm. how, he was everywhere all the time. So I, I think he, he, he may have gotten a little bit too comfortable by building up so much cachet early um, and feels like he can, he's you know, on. And here's the thing, and, and Brian, you're probably you're going to test this too. The level of player, there's there's certain level of, uh, of requirements. Um, Dame's allowed to take possessions off. He, he's the captain. He's the star. He's the superstar. He's the offensive engine. Nurkic may be allowed to take a play or two off, but he's not allowed the, the ratio that Damian Lillard is. Yeah. Um, and I think that may be why he hasn't been out there. Because I mean, if you look at – I was looking at the – well, you, you can probably – anybody else wants to pull this up. If you want to look at something from the Nets game, look at the – well, Nurkic was only a plus three. Look at the trend line for the score in the game. When Nurkic was on the floor, Portland was trending in the positive. When he leaves the game, all of a sudden the Nets take control of the game again. And then this, this, this theme happens throughout the game. So even though it was difficult for the Blazers to keep up with the small ball, the Nets couldn't keep up with Nurkic. And he was easily their most effective weapon on the offensive end. Um, and I, I think he may have gotten the sense that, hey, I, I'm unstoppable and I'm really rolling on that end, so I'm gonna, I need to go ahead and make sure I'm really focusing on that end. And I, defensively, we're, we're playing okay, so I can kind of sit back a little bit and I can relax. Um, and Coach Vanterpool apparently got off the bench and, and scolded him a couple times. Um, Brian, I'd be curious what you observed about um, about Nurkic in that last quarter. Um, and if you think this is an issue. Well, I'm going to... Kind of going back a little bit to one thing uh, Dan was saying, you know, I'm definitely one of my favorite quotes um, from a coach for a coach is the worst two things you can do in a season is to overreact and to underreact. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of what we're looking at here. Yep. Um, well, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was, I'm just going to agree with you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of what we're looking at here. Um, I mean, we lost Blazers lost to 
the Clippers on a last second three went to overtime with the um, Jazz. You know, missed the buzzer beater against the, the Grizzlies. Um, barely lost in Milwaukee in a game they probably should have won. I mean, they're right there. And so, so yeah, maybe there's something to tweak, but to overthrow everything and to, you know, um, make some sort of mass hall change your philosophy thing is, is probably overdoing it as well. As far as Nurkic, um, he comes out the game uh, yesterday. And first couple offensive possessions, you see him, you know, you see him crashing the board. You see him setting good screens throughout the game. You see him pointing. They're doing switches really well. Very In the first half, pretty much every time Nurkic switched on to uh, Russell, that, was, that worked out well for the Blazers. It was kind of cool to see. He was down in a stance. Uh, Nurkic looked invested. He looked, he looked very invested into the game. But you could kind of see as, as the game started wearing on, it almost looked like he was getting tired. It almost looks like when he gets tired, he loses some focus, he loses some energy. And as you said, Dan, it looks like he takes plays off. I would be, you know, I said this in my breakdown, but he, he's lost a lot of weight, but being skinnier just means you're lighter. It doesn't mean you're in better shape. I would wonder, I would wonder about his actual conditioning a little bit and how much of, how much of a difference that makes on him when he's, when he's at full strength, when he's feeling good. And when he's feeling tired. Oh, sorry. I thought, I thought Terry had a follow-up on that one. That's that one's my bad. <laughs> my son just poked his head in the door. Sorry. I think it's a great point. I really, yeah, I really wonder about, about that. And watching, you know, I was, when I was making the edits of, you know, how things he did wrong, I always kind of check the clock and see where we're at in the quarter. How long has he been in? That kind of, and it was definitely, you know, after an up and down, you know, where he was involved in an offensive play, then a defensive play, then an offensive play, that next defensive play was going to be not quite as sharp. Or, you know, after he's been in for a couple of minutes, it, uh, I mean, he, he'd been in, um, let's see, on that one play with Dame on that mix-up, I mean, that was, you know, you get near the end of the third quarter, he played, it was, I think it was only like seven and a half minutes at that point. But, you know, maybe you need to look into kind of, Finding what his his comfort comfort zone is, I would you know I would put a lot of stock into into determining when he's at his best, when he's making his errors, how long has he been on the court, and that kind of stuff. Because honestly, I, I feel like there's something there. I, well, I really wish the NBA would with... allow wearable technology. I, I really <laughs> like, like having that stuff. Like every other professional league, pretty much outside of what I think I think the only professional leagues in the world that are that are the top tiers. Um, that don't allow wearables that, that track that information are the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. I think every other professional league in the world allows it now. And well, and the NBA, and the NFL, it. and MLB are kind of <laughs> um, some, you know some of the the leaders in oh, these yeah, kinds no, of things. I mean, I mean you, there's you a look lot at, of issues about wearable technology. You you look at like the, the the top soccer leagues in the world and the top basketball leagues in the world outside of the NBA, where that that tracking data is incredibly valuable. They're all using it. You, you can see it through underneath all their kits. They're all using web, and not to get too sideways, but yeah, I, I think it would. I think that would be a really good idea, Brian. I think part of it is is energy and, and, and whether or not he's tired or not. But I, I, I still, I kind of fall back to he may be getting a little bit too comfortable. I, I think it could be a, a case of both of those things that are occurring at the same time. Um, yeah, there's, there's a very good chance that's that's the point too, where he feels a little tired. He's like, okay, I can take a break now. Yeah, or if he felt like I've got 20 points, so I can, I can take a possession or two or, off. I got it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely could be an overlap. That's, that's, 
well, and maybe with the addition of two more big men into the lineup coming soon, when Myers and Aminu come back, everyone's going to have like he won't have to play those minutes where he gets tired out, and he'll know that you know people are right behind him. Then you know they're coming up to take those minutes. I mean, how does there's been a lot of talk about earning minutes as well, um, Brian? In your experience. You know, is that a, is that a thing? Like, I mean, how do, how does a coach convey that? Like, how does a coach indicate to somebody that yes, you've um, you know, this is what you need to do to earn the minutes? I mean, do they lay it out there clear as day? Do different coaches take different approaches on that? How does that work? Earning minutes. I mean, a lot of that's on the player. I mean, if, if let's say I'm a player and I'm not getting enough minutes, there's only one way to know how to get more minutes, and that's to go to your coach and find out. Some coaches are really good at communicating that, and we'll have little meetings and we'll you know, yell at you at practice and tell you exactly what you want. And some coaches are kind of more quiet and, and uh, you know, maybe not as, as personal personal with that information. But if you're not getting enough minutes, the number one thing you got to do is figure out why, you know, if you're, you know, whether it's sitting down with coach and watching a film, but that, that has to be communicated. And if it's not, that's, that's definitely on the player to make sure that they understand why they're not playing and what they can do to play more. And that's got to be the, if somebody's not getting enough minutes, that's the number one thing that has to happen. That's interesting that it's on the player. It's not on the coach to tell somebody that's the mind of a competitor is so fascinating because I am not a competitor. And some of these things, which you all take for granted, like it's on the player, you know, I look at it from a completely different point of view. So that is totally fascinating to me. But the, like I, but the, coach, is, the coach just has the information that he has and he makes the best decisions possible, you know, to win the game, of course, but the players it's, it's, you know, they want to play you know, for themselves. They want to be on the court. Mm-hmm. Not that the coach is saying, I really wish this guy was on the court more, but I'm not going to play him because of this and this. You know, so he does. He has a lot different viewpoint than the player does. The player wants to be on the court, so they need to figure out what they're going to do to get on the court. Well, you had a really good point, too, earlier, Brian, when you talked about not getting, not overreacting and not underreacting. And I think that, you know, keeping everything in perspective is is so important, especially early on in the season, especially, you know, because we came in with all these expectations about how the Blazers were going to play with this homestand and, you know, with this easy schedule, expectations were very high. Um, I went and looked to see how they compared to last year at this time, 12 games in. So last year, 12 games in, they were actually had a slightly better record. They were seven and five. Their offensive rating was 103.4, which had them at about number 14. So like right in the middle, their defensive rating was 107.3. So they were way down at number 27 in defensive rating and their net rating was negative 3.9. So they were 20th in net rating. So that's where they were last year with a, with a negative net rating this year, 12 games in they're six and six. So they're. Uh, not quite as good of a record. Their offensive rating is real close. It's 104.6, number 15. Their defensive rating is 100.4, which is number four. And their net rating is a positive 4.1. You know, again, if you take the Phoenix game size, out, take the Phoenix, Phoenix it's, game out. It's all out. about even. It's a, it, everything's about. Do you think that the Phoenix game really would move them from a pot? You know, if you remove yeah, that from it a does. negative net rating, from a positive to a negative net rating. It, no, it puts it like at at zero. At zero. Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. It puts them right. So next zero, to zero is a lot better than negative three point nine. No, it is, and I think that the, the same thing can be said for last year. I think they had one really bad loss in there too. 
they had a couple of really bad losses last year. Well, yeah, throughout the, throughout the season. I'm just talking early on because they had the. No, I mean early early on. Last year, 12 games in, they'd lost by 10 or more points. They lost by 23. They lost by 31. There's the big one, um, the 31. Yeah, and I think another one. I think 25. Their their 12th game was like a 25 point loss. But yeah, so they had three games where they lost by more than 10, and this year they've had three games that were three points or less. So, so I guess it's like a would switch, you rather situation. Yeah, would you like, rather? So basically, it's the same team that sucks a little bit less. That's not how I would say it, Dan. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really. I mean. It kind of goes back That's to the whole thing. That's one we're, way to say, the, you could say those words. <laughs> it's one it's the most naked <laughs> way you could possibly put that. I couldn't put, I was trying to put that in a more positive way, and I, I have nothing. That's as negative as it gets. I mean, it, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Like, there, there's still, like, the same issues that were there last season are still here this year. There's just a host of different issues. And the idea that Nurkic was going to... Wait, you we, just well, said we, that there were the same issues, and then they said there was a host of different issues. There are. But I'm, I'm talking about the, the same... Overall issues, so defense, um, lack of, of wing depth and wing scoring, bench scoring, those those things. They're the not being able to finish in the paint. That's that's a new one for this year. Last year they were um, they were hitting more threes and not than scoring in the paint. This year they're hitting less threes and or they're more efficient from three and not scoring in the paint. So it's, it's something different on the the lower levels. But I'm talking about the the, the overarching issues and the um, the idea that Nurkic was going to you know, but they played with that that pace for those twenty games for Nurkic down the stretch. It's like, yeah, against the easiest schedule in the league, against a bunch of teams that didn't care, and nobody had the, the team scouted. I mean, you could go down the list of things that were kind of flowing against that. This team is still it's it's an okay team. It's a it's probably it's it's safe to say it's a good team. Um, it's just fundamentally flawed. Um, the the way that this team kind of gets out of this is they have to or to to manage to salvage this, they have to dig out now because there, there's no, there's no salvaging this in, in March or, or, or February that that's not happening this year. Um, cause if things go sideways and they were more, more sideways than they are right now, this is like, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're coach Brian Freeman, if you're player Brian Freeman, you're calling you're, you might call for that meeting a little early because with the way the schedule comes up here in a month, this is this is not the thing that you want to be in if you're Portland. So, I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird, awkward situation that they're in right now. And I, for me, I think it's going to be an interesting experiment to see how they figure this out if they figure it out. Well, looking up at the schedule that they have coming up to kind of start wrapping things up here a little bit. They do have some games which may or may not be more winnable than others. <laughs> There's the the Nuggets game coming up on Monday. There's Magic coming up on Wednesday. The Magic is a team that appears to be a lot better this year. Then we have the home and away against the Sac. They have the uh, Sacramento Kings uh, home and away. Then the Grizzlies again. I think they've. I'm trying to find the game. Where, where's the game in this that Portland's supposed to, like, you know, start picking up wins easily in? You don't think they can win the home and home against I the mean, Kings? I mean, the Kings, sure. They've, they've kind of been a thorn in, in the side of a few teams um, with the way they've played. Um, Portland's not exactly riding high on confidence right now. Um, I think the well, Denver that, game is the, is the, is the big-time swing game. If they can get a big win against Denver, that could springboard them. That, that could really get them going. 
Um, if that so what game, are the keys to beating Denver? Nurkic has got to play Nurkic basketball. Like he, he's got to. CJ McCollum said it in a post game interview a couple days ago. Probably about a week ago now. He Nurkic is the guy that can take them to the next level, and that's absolutely true. As great and as phenomenal as Damon CJ are, there's nobody on this team that bends a team on the on the defensive end with their offense more than Nurkic. Dame and CJ both have a outstanding gravity, but extreme length and quickness can can bother them. We've seen that in the past. There's no amount of length that's going to stop Nurkic from rolling down the middle. Like you have to put bodies on him that are big enough to stop him. Don't tell that to Antetokounmpo. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay, I think we're going to rephrase that. There's no amount of length in the world saves Giannis, who is, you know, the actual definition Giannis, of a Greek yeah. god. Uh, so, do you guys think that Nurkic, full, you know, operating on full offensive power and never really bringing a lot to defense is enough, or does he have to put both of those things and play both of those at a high level to take the Blazers to, you know, where you're saying they could go with him? Offensively, it's just about him bending the offense or, or bending the defense. It's not necessarily about him dropping 30. If he's giving you 18 on that side, night in, night out, that's a, a way above bar for what you need. Right. I mean, I'm not worried about him on, yeah, on, no, it, on it, offense. It's his, his defensive contribution is what allows the other guys to do other things. And, and Brian probably can back this up a little more. When you've got that wall behind you, and we've seen it before, when you've got that wall behind you that is providing the stability on the pick and rolls, um, that is providing the stability on the weak side action, that is coming up and hedging when he needs to hedge, sagging back in, shucking cutters, um, just getting opposing offenses off balance, that does a lot for your defense, especially for a defense that's not all that aggressive to begin with. Is he doing that, Brian? Do you think he's doing that right now? I think he is, but as we said earlier, it's not consistent enough. Okay. I mean, he's he is a he is a good defensive player. I would take him as my five on, a, you know, find out to get a stop. I'd have uh, I'd have Nurkic in there as my five and feel comfortable about it. But it's just doing it possession in and possession out, and always having confidence that he's going to make that communication. He's going to make that extra effort. And you know that that's the big thing. If, if they can keep him invested and keep him focused, because he has the skills, I think he has the desire. Um, he's smart enough. He's a, he's a very intelligent player. It's just making sure that he's, he's focused and, and ready to go every possession. And if they can do that, I mean, he's going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's spot on. And that's the, those same things you just kind of hit on the idea that he needs to stay focused and stay in tune and stay committed. What is that reminiscent of? It's the same kind of thing as we kind of heard out of Denver. And that's why I think people need to kind of keep their eye on this. Again, I don't think it's freak out time about Nurkic, but it, not only the coaches, but I think this, I know this sounds kind of weird, but as a fan base, maybe not elevating him to Colt status um, until he's played at least a full season with the Blazers um, is probably a good thing. Um, let him kind of learn and grow. And get, keep in mind, he's still a young man. I mean, he's, he's still a young dude. He's, he's not uh, a 28-year-old center who's just kind of coming in and, and giving you the, the Dwight Howard prima donna act. Um, That's a great I, reminder. He's only 23, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's still a kid. So and, and, there's, there's still room to grow up. And the biggest difference between that, you know, looking at this situation and looking at Denver, Denver, he was, he was outwardly pouting. You yeah. could see it written on his face. I mean, that was a, 
I think that was a, a whole nother level than what we're seeing here. Taking some taking some plays off and maybe losing focus every once in a while, I think is is a is something that's going to happen, especially with the, the youthful stubbornness. You just kind of need to, yeah, a little bit, and just start developing good habits, and you know, reminding him and give him a little yell, maybe bench him every once in a while, like we're seeing here. But for him, yeah, I mean, he really kind of gave the gave the middle finger to Denver a little bit, and <laughs> I, I'm not bit. getting any no, kind of feelings about no, that. No, I think it, I think it was too held up high. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, and like I said, I don't think it's <laughs> and, and reaching I, anywhere near that level. And my whole thing right now is, is I don't want the other shoe to drop. I'm not hoping the other shoe drops. I'm just saying it's probably best for everybody to just kind of not overreact to this, but keep an eye on it. Like this is something that it can get out of control, but it can also be, easily be be reeled in by Coach Dotson and, and, and the, the leaders in that locker room. So um, I, I don't think it's – Again, a huge issue, but it's something certainly to watch going forward, um, especially with the next game against the Nuggets being kind of an emotional matchup. Uh, he hit on the fact that, you know, in the, in the past that, that has been um, like, you know, the, I hope they have a nice summer. We, you know, we got that from him last year. Um, he was really hyped about that. Well, you know, the notes that came out of practice today were, I'm, I'm, I'm over, I'm past the, 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 the revenge rivalry stuff. It's like, dude, that was like two months ago. <laughs> How are you you past that? That's where I kind of go. I I think that's kind of PR. Putting putting some water on the flames. Like, let's not put any more light on Nurkic right now. Let's just kind of go ahead and and let him play basketball. So those are the things I think we need to kind of watch for going forward. Um, Big games coming up, obviously. Denver, um, this is really awkward and weird to say that Orlando's a big game. But Portland has to – they they have to finish this this, these next couple games. They really need to win three out of four, bare minimum. Um, I, I really they need to win the next four in, in my mind to have um, to be that that's what we talked about Tara to start the season to have that successful start to the season this isn't unsalvageable by any means if, if they win three out of four four out of four optimally um, out, of, out of the next four games then I think they have a chance to kind of right the ship early uh, before things get really difficult um, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there I want to thank Brian Freeman for stopping by Brian go ahead and let them know where they can find you buddy you Hey, uh, you can find me on Blazers Edge. I just started doing a video breakdown, which I've kind of mentioned today. Uh, first one will be coming out here in the next next day or so. So you can check it check it out there. You can find me on Twitter. My name is Brian Freeman24. Yep. Sure, you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. And also just uh, to be sure to check out we uh, Blazers Edge. We're adding some new content to the Blazers Edge podcast feed. I think, Dan, you're going to have some new stuff coming up as well. Um, and I just posted the first episode of Women's Hops and Talks where we're going to elevate the voice of women in basketball. We just posted our first episode, so you should uh, give that a listen as well right after you listen to this one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh... I'm Dan Morang, as always. You can find me on Twitter at DMorang. Uh, as Tara kind of teased there a little bit, there will be a new podcast segment coming out. Uh, they're going to be probably about 30 minutes long. Um, quick, short, and to the point. I know it's hard to believe with me, but they're going to be guest-focused, and we're going to be just kind of taking topics that kind of come up as, as they go um, that are focused probably more on the um, player development, analytics, uh, a little bit deeper dive into stuff uh, that's better for podcast listening than probably um, consumption if you guys were getting tired of ever reading my 4,000 word write-ups um, <laughs> kind of be the, the, the podcast versions of those um, but we're going to bring in a lot of uh, national and uh, local writers uh, podcasters uh, content creators from all over the country and in the NBA um, to go ahead and discuss that stuff um, Tara go ahead and take us out of here 
All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Brian, thanks for being on the podcast and we will catch y'all next week. <laughs>